chapter 1. I had a terrible week. Uh, the kicker came yesterday, when the uh, night, night before last, when Susan went out to the kitchen, and she's wading through water. Uh, yeah, and the garbage disposal, the bottom part of it just fell out, and so everything, the dishwasher flows through the garbage disposal, and so it, it, it water everywhere. So that took a day, okay, different things took a day here and a day there, but that's the way it goes. Uh, in John chapter 1. You all have the first 18 verses memorized, right? And that's good. That's good to hear. All right. In essence, in the one verse we ended with last week, that so many people just skip over and overlook, is commonplace. And I'm as guilty as anybody else. That if I come to a scripture, a sentence that I don't know, I just keep reading. I just keep reading. Okay. We don't want to do that. We want to stop and say, Okay, I don't know this. What does this mean? Because some of those things that we skip over, you will find, are the deepest wonders in Scripture. And in the book of John, virtually in every chapter, there's a few Hebraic idioms that the people at the time understood what John was saying. And we've lost it over the years. But when you understand what that picture, it's a picture. What that picture is, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Like last week when we ended with verse 18. In fact, let's take a look at that one verse, one word. John 1, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, we, we showed you that term is all through John, the only begotten. That means the unique, the absolutely unique, one of a kind, only one. There's nothing we can compare him to. That uniqueness about, about Yeshua. But here's the line. Who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Well, actually the wording is he has declared him is not there. And, and I mentioned that when I was growing up, I would avoid the word bosom as much as possible. And uh, that's the word that's so important because it's the word for heart. So what, this, what John ends in, and you, this is musical, it's poetic. It's, it's liturgy of the, of the first century. He ends with, you, to sum it up, Yeshua is an expression, the clearest possible expression of the heart of God. God has declared his heart in Yeshua. That's big. That is huge. That is huge. And one of the things we're doing at the Seder this year, we've done it before, but a little bit deeper this time, is um, there is there is no other person, no other religion, no other system that declares this. It's, it's the heart of our Creator is shown in Him. And in that, the culmination will be in a couple of chapters, uh, chapter 3, God so loved that He gave. And, and John uses the word believe 70 times. He uses it once here. The point, and he ends the book with that. The goal of the book is that you would believe. He, he begins in, in these first 18 verses, I'm writing this, that you will believe. Now, uh, here's what I did not say last week. The word believe. Can, you can interpret that to mean any number of things. One thing is, well, that's a fact, I see, like a historical fact. I know that... Uh, uh, Give me a point of history. Give me the right one. What am I thinking? That's the conspiracy theory at the end. What am I thinking? What are you talking about, right? Did we go to the moon? Not we. Did Neil Armstrong go to the moon, walk on it, and come back? Yes. <laughs> he did. Now, do I believe that? Actually, I saw it on black and white TV. 
in Canada. That's where I was. I watched that. Now, I, I believe, okay, I went to the National Air and Space Museum in D.C., and I saw the capsule of Apollo 11. I saw it. It's all kind of burnt looking. I looked in the window. And what did I say? I'm not doing this. I'm not getting in this. It's about that thin. It's like, hmm, they didn't tell us that stuff. They, three astronauts went up. Two of them walked on the moon. We brought them back safely. I believe that happened. But that's not what John's talking about. The word faith is the next level. Do you believe it or do you put your faith in it? Now, I believe it, but Neil Armstrong put his faith in it. He trusted that rocket and that capsule to do what they told him it would do. I didn't do that, and I'm not going to do that. All right? I believe it. I'm not getting in it, ever. But the, the bottom line is that that's the difference in the kind of belief he's talking about. What he, what he means by believing in Yeshua, and also the word accept is one of the actual translations. People say, well, you know, we need to accept Yeshua. It kind of has become a, a cliche. That's actually what that word can be translated. Accepting him from a Hebraic perspective means you totally buy into all that he is, everything he is, everything he teaches. You have committed fully your life to be his lifestyle and follow his teaching in every minute, minor point. That's what that means. Okay, it's not, well, yeah, I believe. No, 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 no. You, the bottom line is this. Who are you trusting for your salvation? You see, it's a matter of do you trust him for it? And when you ask people, sometimes they give you wrong answers. They say, well, I hope this is true. Well, that's not trusting him for it. Now, you've got to take a, look, take a little step back and look how wacko we really are. Okay? We, we are, I am, and you are, you're banking that this is true. You're staking eternity that this is true. Okay, when we put our trust in him, we let go and let him. All right, and that's what faith is all about. We are totally trusting him for our salvation. Not our works, not our obedience, not if we do all the stuff right. And what the, the message of the Seder is, that we are trusting him completely. And that's what that word means. John uses that 70 times. It's that kind of faith, that kind of belief. Because in the first few verses, it says those who, have, who believe okay, in, in him, put their faith and trust in him, he calls them children of God. Now, wait a minute. God made everybody, right? Okay, that's a Hebraic idiom for a relationship that we see in Scripture cover to cover. It's typified by the relationship that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, that the, Joshua, that those people had with God. Okay, they talked, they listened, they heard, they did. There are examples, there are heroes. Okay, that's what that means. And the word right is important because he gave you some rights. And a right to be called that in that special relationship with him, of knowing him. Do you know him? The summary of all the next, actually a couple of chapters, is not what you know, not a list of facts. But it's who you know. Do you know him? In chapter 1, in those first few verses, uh, there was some, uh, some conclusions. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, so on and so forth. But there was a little part there <clears throat> that has to do with uh, as many as received him. 
to then be gave the right to be called children of God. There are, and John develops this all through, all through the book. <clears throat> and there's, each chapter is something else he adds. At this point, there are those who received him. There are receivers. There are rejectors. That theme appears all through John. So we start off by asking the question, which are you? Have you received or have you rejected? Because John builds a case. Every single chapter, it's a courtroom case. <clears throat> and he brings forth witnesses. And we're going to see a list of them in just a few minutes. It's, this is a phenomenal chapter. But he brings forth the, the, these witnesses. Uh, this is to make a statement. And Yeshua will make a statement or do something. And it's like, okay, it, re, it requires a response. And in, in so far, in these first 18 verses, it's simply, uh, have you received him? Or have you rejected him? And not receiving him is rejecting him. That is making a decision. That play was right on because there was a decision made. The teens over on this side, where's Anna? Okay, over on this side, Misa, where are you? Okay, on this side. They made a decision. Okay, they made a decision. So did Debbie. And I look back, I was uh, 17 when I made that decision. And uh, actually, I do have a regret. It's a pretty big one, actually. But my only regret is that I didn't make it sooner because I missed some really good stuff as a teen that I could have had, some of, some of the blessings. Only, only regret. Well, as we continue in John, that opening statement is huge, just absolutely huge. And, and i got to admit, with some people, it's really hard to believe. That's why, that's why John starts there. But he's not the only one who says it. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> I don't hear pages rustling. Okay, oh, di- you're digital. Okay, okay, okay. Phil- thank you. Mr. Must. Philippians 2. 5. That's why I'm on the wrong page. Okay, good. Here we go. Let this mind be in you. This is how you think, is what he's saying. Which is also in Messiah Yeshua, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, how he looked, okay, the word became flesh, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, now we go back to our Sayer's message, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow. That every knee should bow. Get his name. Of those in heaven and of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Lord. That's a big statement. That's a big, big statement. So, uh, if you... Yeah, what, 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 what's your grandma's name? Her one. Only a page or two away. Colossians 1. See, that, that's not the only place the Bible says that about Yeshua. There's several places. Now, Paul, the Pharisee, he's talking like this. Oh, yeah. Okay, Colossians 1, 15. 
through 17. You see, I, I, I say this because it's not just a few verses in John that was poetic in nature. No, Paul is teaching doctrine here. And I bring it up because I, this was some of the doctrine that I struggled with the most. How is this possible? Well, it's easy to clear it up. If God has all power, that means he can do whatever he wants, any way he wants, any time he wants. That's what that means. And if he wants to appear as a man, he can. He did, he did many times. But if he wants to become one, he can because he has all power. So it's not like he can't. And this is saying it happened one time in history. Verse 15, he, this is Yeshua, is the image. Now, remember, John, that, that picture we, we were giving you? He is giving us an image of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, that's the angelic realm. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, in him, important word, all things exist. A uh, question, are you in him? Paul asks that about 20 times in Ephesians. Are you in him? There's a relationship that's intimate that you can have. Chapter 2, same book, next page. Verse 9 and 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you know what that means? In him, you see the fullness. All that there is to know and see and understand about God is in Yeshua. That's hard to believe, but it's true. In him is the complete revelation of who God is, of what he's like. God's heart is expressed. We can see it. We can, as John said, we can touch it. We can understand it only in that context. One more line, verse 10. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Are you in him? Who is the head of all principality and power. And that means all of life. That's what those two words mean. He's in charge of all of life. Are you in him? Or are you just on your own? See, those are the things that, that Paul uh, brings up, that John brings up, and so on. Huge concepts. Huge concepts. Okay, with that in mind, back to John, chapter 1. Oops. And we'll start with verse 19. Now that you're all up to speed. Now, this is the testimony of John. The first, remember that I said he brings witnesses. The first one is John the Baptist. Now, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? This is to John. Now, okay, let's stop right there. Okay, uh, John, this is funny, is accused of being anti-Semitic. Okay, because he, he uses ter a term like, the Jews did this, and the Jews did that, in, in, in a negative way. Well, if you live back then, you'd know what he's talking about. John was a Jew. How can he talk about himself like that? It, the, the term has to do with the Judeans, the Orthodox Jews from Jerusalem. That's a slang term for that particular group. The Apostle Paul was one of those, by, by the way. Okay, now what happens is this. Anytime there was any new religious movement, the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, would send a committee out to check it out. They do the same thing with Yeshua. What's interesting is when we come to that part, Yeshua takes their questions that they ask John, and he reverses them and asks them. And they don't have an answer. 
makes them not look so good. But the committee comes to check it out. Stage one, there's three stages. The first stage is observation. They watch. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. They just watch. Then they report back. Okay, here's what we saw. Okay, stage two. A different group comes out. It, this is the, the temple entourage. It tells us that these are Pharisees that, that were sent. Stage two is asking questions. Who are you? Why are you here? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. All those kind of things. That's what you'll see. That's stage two. No conclusion. They go back and report. Stage three is, is this of God or not? And what do we do about it? That's interesting because they did that both with Yeshua and with John the Baptist. But what, got it, what got it rolling and started with Yeshua? It was the first time a man was healed of leprosy. What did, what did Yeshua say to the guy? He said, go in peace. And, and uh, you know, no. Give somebody a hug. Go to the center. No. What did he say? He said, go to the temple and do what Moses taught in the law, which was what? Well, you have, if you're healed of leprosy, you have to be inspected by a certain priest. Guess what? Never happened before. He shows up. They go, why are you here? Well, I was healed of leprosy. Really? Next question is what? Who did it? It was Yeshua of, of Nazareth. Got their attention. They sent the committee out at that point in time. And they follow him around his entire ministry. But it's in a negative form. But, but one by one, several come to faith. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we, we, we're not doing so good. We get a good jump start with the first 3,000. But by the end of the book of Acts, it says myriad, that's tens of thousands of Pharisees and of Levites and of priests have put their faith and trust in Yeshua. So sometimes we get a conclusion a little bit too soon. Oh, they rejected him. Not so fast. A whole lot accepted him and put their faith and trust in him. In fact, Neander, a Jewish historian, tells us that by the end of the first century, um, what was that number that he he gives us? Uh, There were one million Jewish believers in Yeshua. And we're told that, they, that the Jewish people rejected him. I wish it would be like that today with, every, with anybody. A million new believers? A lot of people believed him. And their reluctance was they had to match it up with Scripture. And when they did, they go, you know what? He's the Messiah. That's sort of the rest of the book of John. So we have this group coming out to talk to John. Okay? They were priests and Levites. The other times it will say the Pharisees. But John, they said to him, verse 19, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. That's, they, that was one of the questions. No, I mean, and they asked, what then? Are you Elijah? We talked about that at Passover, right? They were expecting Elijah to come before the Messiah. He said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? That's from Deuteronomy 18. A prophet like Moses would be raised up. He said, no, I am not. Well, then who are you? That we can give an answer to those who sent us. And then he quotes scripture. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Both Isaiah and Malachi talk about the coming of John the Baptist to announce the coming, the soon arrival of the Messiah. He said, that's who I am. I'm announcing the soon arrival of the Messiah. Okay. Hang on to that thought. Now, those who were sent, verse 24, were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you immerse if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Remember, in our introduction, we saw that John is, in fact, a priest. 
He's of the priest. He's of the priestly line. He's of the Aaronic line. So he legally could have without a problem. John answered and, and said, I immerse with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Again, the question, do you know him? Do you know him? It's not what you know, it's who you know. There's one that you don't know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And now keep in mind, John will say this about three or four times, um, that he's ahead of me, he's above me, he's before me. But John was six months older than Yeshua. How can that be? Well, John the Apostle said, well, easy. In the beginning was the word, the word with God. Okay, you got that one, right? That's how he can say he's before me when he's six months older. In the next verse, we talked about at our immersion service a couple of weeks ago. Verse 28, and I am, am mispronouncing this on purpose. These things were done in Bethabara. Beyond the, beyond the Jordan, where John was immersing. That's what you hear on the radio. In Bethabara, house, okay, house on the prairie, okay, house on the, the Erevah. Okay, now that is significant. All of you were not at the uh, immersion. Why? There's not an idle word in Scripture, all right? Every word is important. And we have some really cool ones coming up. Why does he say that? I mean, John could have been immersing anywhere. He did. All up and down the Jordan River, other places where there was water, oases and so on. But he, there's a specific location. Well, there's good reason to believe, and I'm not going to explain it today, but if you buy Barney Kasdan's book on, on the feast, there's good reason to believe that Yeshua began his ministry at the fall holidays. The fall holidays. As you know, it's customary to be immersed at Yom Teruah, at Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the fall holidays. And, and it's the same message that John was giving, one of repentance, a call to repent. It all, it all matches fine. Uh, is that one of the three pilgrim festivals that Jews are supposed to come to? Yes. Well, now, sometimes the symbolism of things, we want to make it as symbolic as possible, don't we? And so we, we overdo stuff just to make it really symbolic and illustrate what is in our heart. A lot, a lot of these things are pictures of what's in, inside of us. What's in our heart? That's what immersion is all about as well. The, the mikvah. Where would they go? Any, you could go anywhere as long as you had living water. Water in, water out. And be immersed. But what they would do, the pilgrims, as they approached Jerusalem, if you were coming from other directions than east, you would intentionally go to like down the Jordan Valley or come around the, the other way. If we, if we had a map, I'd show you that. And go to where John was. It's a cross, crossroads of three main highways. It's where the Jordan River ends and the Dead Sea begins. Why is that significant? Because that spot where the water is still flowing is the lowest point on the Earth's surface. In other words, to, to make the picture right, you get as low as you can. Because as you aim yourself at Jerusalem, it's up to Jerusalem, physically as well as spiritually. But you don't just join the road halfway up. You could. But to, to make the illustration, I'm going to start my repentance at the lowest place because that's me, the lowest possible person. And the ascent to Jerusalem and the highways intersected there on purpose, perfect place for John to be. And by the way, that's where Yeshua would show up in this chapter, at that place, because that's where all the people were. Okay, that's why he tells us that's where he was immersing. 
The next day, John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold, he's pointing to him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a huge statement. Uh, he chooses the, the predominant animal of sacrifice to picture Yeshua, as we have it in, in uh, the, the Exodus, in the Passover story. The Lamb of God. Now, the other lambs weren't lambs of God. They were lambs whose blood was shed. This one is unique. The Lamb of God. And John is doing his job. He's the witness. He's pointing, he's pointing people to Yeshua. That's what John was called to do. That's what we're called to do. To point people to Yeshua. How are we doing? All right. Hang on. More on this in a minute. But the Lamb takes away the sin of the world. The other lambs did not do that. And then he says this. To make sure you're getting it. He says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. John starts off by saying, This is the one. This is the one. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came immersing with water. And John by witness saying, I saw the Spirit. This is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Descending from heaven like a dove. And he, re- he remained upon him. That visible manifestation was the sign that was given to John that this is, the, this is the Messiah. I did not know him, but he who sent me to immerse with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who immerses with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the other Gospels, it's, and in this one, he'll say, uh, I baptize, I immerse with water, but he will immerse you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. Now, you all know what that means, right? Fire. Now, we tend to ignore that one, huh? Huh? Okay. What does that mean? It means you're going to be immersed one way or the other. Okay? By the Holy Spirit or in judgment. Book of Revelation. That ending is not so good. The lake of fire. One way or the other, you pick. And that play illustrated that. You decide. Is it with the Holy Spirit or in in the judgment of fire? You still have that dash. It's not filled in. Sooner than you think. But that, that's, that's the purpose of the fire is the judgment. The next day, John stood with two of his disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. He's about to lose them. And looking at Yeshua as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He keeps saying that. He points people to Yeshua. The two disciples heard him speak, hearing and doing, a Jewish concept. whole book of James is on that. And they followed Yeshua. I mean, all the training up that John was doing was for this moment to point out that's the Messiah, follow him. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not follow us, not follow the MJAA. It's follow him, follow Yeshua. That is the message. Okay? And we need to be getting that's Again, it's a reminder. That's what we are called to do, just like John. The two heard him speak and they followed him. Verse 38, then Yeshua turned and seeing them following, he said to them, who do you seek? This is really cool. It's it's Hebraic idioms in action, rabbinic. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher, where are you staying? Now, you know what that is? the, The common term that they used was if you wanted to join the school of a certain rabbi and be discipled under him, you ask the question, where do you live? Where are you staying? And if he wants you to join his group, he says, 
Come and see. It's exactly what Yeshua did. It lines up exactly with the historical sources and with the rabbinic sources of what they would say at this point in time. He said, come and see. They came and saw. John is a genius in how he writes this. Come, the invitation, come and see. They came and saw. Do you, do you follow his invitations? Because if you do, you'll come and you'll see too. And they came and they saw where he was staying and remained with him. They came, they saw, they remained. Now it's about the 10th hour. John even tells us what time, what time it is. One of the two of them uh, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's little brother. He's always known as that, by the way. He first, here's, here's how we do what we do. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, he went to Peter. Okay, uh, you'll see a interesting uh, personalities of these, of these uh, disciples. And like, who are they and what did they do? What were their importance? Andrew does one thing. He does it really well. He brings people to Yeshua. That's what we're supposed to do. He brings people. He went and at first it was his family. He found his brother. He found his brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Yeshua. And when Yeshua looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated rock. Uh, the term Simon means hearing. Remember the hearing and the doing? That will come into play later. Uh, but now you're going to be called a, a rock. And then later in, in Matthew 16, the comparison of the little rock and the big rock, that Yeshua is the big rock. So Peter gets his name, the rock. The following day, Yeshua wanted to go to Galilee, which is a two-week walk north, by the way. And he found Philip and said to him, isn't it interesting how Yeshua is looking for people? He's looking for them. Uh, we see God doing that with Gideon. He goes and looks for Gideon. All through the, he found Moses, the burning bush. He's looking for you. Has he found you? Has he found you? Are you hiding? Gideon was, it didn't seem to work. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. That's it. Follow him and no one or nothing else. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, city of Andrew and Peter, and, by the, and John, but too, as well. Philip found Nathaniel. Have you seen the domino effect here? Now, Philip finds Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses, he goes back to the scripture, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Okay, he goes right back to word. This person that we found fulfills the scripture, the prophecies about who the Messiah is. We found him. We've been looking for him. That's the message to Nathaniel. And then he said who it is. Uh, he goes, uh, it's Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Back then, Nazareth was this teeny, weeny, little, tiny town known for corruption. Next door to a big town called Sapori, which was the rabbinic headquarters of the rabbis in the north. Yeshua hung out there a lot, by the way, talking to these guys. But he was from next door. Not, it was like, t t and so Nathaniel responds, you got to be, it's like, you got to be kidding me. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does that mean? It's, today would be like us saying, can anything good come out of Las Vegas? Okay, same kind of thing. You've got to be kidding me, He's from Vegas? Well, guess what? Shmuel Oppenheim is in Vegas. Good things come out of it. Shmuel, I love you. All right. Um, can you, okay. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said. And they said, 
Notice that nobody argues. They said, come and see. They keep saying that. Come and see. Come and see. That happened to me. That happened in the play. Let Yeshua speak. Okay, you don't, have to, you don't have to defend him. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. You just bring him. You just bring him. I was invited to youth group, like in the play. I came, and I saw, and I believed. It worked. That was a long time ago. Okay, still work. I still believe with all my heart. That Yeshua saw Nathaniel coming toward him. This is really cool. And he said to him, Behold an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That's kind of weird, isn't that kind of strange? Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered, here, by the way, we're on the verge now of the conspiracy theory. Okay, and I am really hot and sweating, and that's the way that goes. Don't leave your seats for ice, just stay there. Okay. <laughs> Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And he says, how do you know me? Good question. Yeshua said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. There's a conspiracy. He sees you. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, he sees you. Now, when he says to you, I saw you under the fig tree, is that going to be an embarrassing moment for you? You saw me under the fig tree? Oh, man! Or is it going to be, wow. I mean, was he praying or was he sinning? See, the conspiracy is he sees you. You know, I forget the old Christmas songs, but he knows knows if you're sleeping, he knows if you're awake, he knows if you're bad or good. You can't hide. We can hide the mic back here, but he sees you. Just know that. Just know that. Now I'll explain. I saw you. The family answered and said to him, Rabbi. Boy, that's a big change. Calls him Rabbi now. That means the term is my Rabbi. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Wait a second. He goes from skeptic to you are the Messiah. You are my Rabbi. You are the Son of God, which is a, 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 a name that involves deity. Why so quick? All he said was, I saw you under the fig tree. Well, again, we're dealing with a Hebraic idiom that's huge. It's huge. Yeshua answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Then he says something. As you can see, we only have one more verse in this chapter. But what did Yeshua see him doing under the fig tree? Well, again, Jewish people at that time would have known exactly what was going on. It was a Jewish understanding, the rabbinic understanding, that if you want to deeply meditate and concentrate on the understanding of a scripture, you start by praying about that scripture and and quoting it, and, and you say God's word, but you do it under a fig tree. He was praying. He was meditating. He was pondering scripture under the fig tree. Do you know what it was? Yeah, Yeshua tells us what it was. He's called an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Did we have any Israelites that, okay, uh, what's, what's another word for guile? Deceit. Did we have any Israelites who were full of deceit? Who comes to mind? Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Why am I picking on Jacob? Um, who was the first Israelite? Jacob. 
Aha, we have, we're getting a possible match here. Uh, you don't want to be like Jacob in that respect. He lied, he deceived, he, 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 uh, uh, he was deceitful. He got in lots of trouble over that. But at, at a point of, high, of real big trouble, he pleads with God about something. And what happens to him? In Genesis? Huh? Yeah, the name change came after. But the story in Genesis about the, the ladder, going into heaven with the angels going up and down, and that's what Yeshua quotes him in verse 51. Most, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, upon him. That's the scripture he was meditating on. Yeshua said, I saw you, I heard you, I know what's in your heart, and you're going to see what Jacob saw. You're going to see what Jacob saw. And, boy, that got his attention right there. And he responds to him by, by declaring, you are the king of Israel. You are the Messiah. You are the son of God. And he was able to see those great and mighty things in the next two and a half to three years. So, we start off with the book of John. Give me one minute here to go to my end, okay? You with me? Okay with the ending? I told you all that. No notes today. Okay. In conclusion, chapter 1. Let's wrap this one up. John introduces witnesses. A whole bunch of them. Not just John the Baptist, but here we have Peter and Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. They all come from the north, by the way. So far. So far. John the Baptist declares, Yeshua is the Lamb of God. Andrew declares, this is the Messiah. Philip says, he fulfills Torah. Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel, and you are my rabbi. In John's opening chapter, chapter 1, he records eight, eight, we have eight so far, eight titles of Yeshua that are used of him alone. Eight in the first chapter. We're off to a big bang here. They are, Yeshua, his titles, the Word, the Life, the Light, the Son, the Lamb, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the King of Israel. Wow, that's in chapter 1. And every chapter is like that. I mean, it's like when you get to the end of the book, it's like, okay, I can't take it anymore. I see what you're saying. And it comes to a, that point where, of belief. And John says it in the last chapter. Do you believe or not? It's that you come to a place of decision. You take the evidence. He has this evidence of the witnesses, who they are, what they saw, what they did. What Yeshua said, what he did, his miracles, seven miracles, seven huge proclamations, as well as what everybody else said about him. And John says, okay, do you believe it or not? It's a choice, one way or the other. Black or white, no gray, no middle ground. And that's the choice we are called to make. And this pattern begins here that we are called to do just like what they do. We bring people to Yeshua. We proclaim him, not something else. We proclaim him. And we do it in such a way that they make a choice. They make a decision. Yes or no. I believe, I don't believe. I accept, I reject. And the consequences are eternal. So we, what we have is a hugely important message that we alone are called to give. So, with that, let's pray for our Seder next Saturday night. Don't forget, we're coming early next Saturday. 10, 10 o'clock. Lord, I lift up this outreach that as... as Literally, what John the Baptist said, we are presenting 
that Yeshua is the Lamb of God. I pray it would be a clear presentation that all the things that clutter our minds and all the things of this life that are worrisome and so on would be set aside and the people that come will hear your voice. They will see the pictures you've given to us of the sacrifices, the placing of the blood on the doorposts, the same places where Yeshua bled on the cross. And they will see that this is a prophetic, clear picture of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that third cup, the cup of redemption, where Yeshua says, this is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we are remembering you and the awesome things that you have done for us. I pray that those that we have invited, just like we see in this first chapter, come and see, come and see. They will see and they will respond and they will follow Yeshua. May miracles happen that night and may we be ready at our tables to answer questions that people ask of us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Oh, I'm sorry, one more surprise, yeah.